Hello and welcome to the show that actually enjoyed Chesterfield on the telly far more than any recent Manchester United game. On today's show, we're delighted to welcome Mansfield Town Supremo Carolyn Radford to the studio. It's been an eventful campaign over at Field Mill. We'll get the inside track. There's more managerial movements to digest as Yapstam and Graham Alexander are both sacked. Carl Robinson jumps ship, Lee Bowyer reappears, and Dean Keats makes an emotional return to the Bescott Stadium. We'll try to make sense of all of that. It's been a long slog, but today we focus on teams 71 and 72 in the Football League, Gillingham and Coventry, and the latter may be the saddest rambling history of them all. Caroline Barker is here, Matt Stanger is here, Joe Crilly is not here, but Social Paul has agreed to play the part of Joe Crilly, and in a Daniel Day-Lewis-starred flourish of method acting, is now dressed head-to-toe in Bolton Wanderers kit. Stay tuned to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Matt Stanger. Good morning, Ian. Where were you this weekend? I was at Berry versus Wigan to confirm that there is a huge gulf in quality uh, at the top and bottom of League One. There really is, isn't there? Were, are Berry in all sorts of trouble? Are they coming out of this? Ten points adrift now. I was actually sat next to a Blackburn scout who uh, I think was doing just his homework on both teams. And I turned to him at one point in the second half and I said, please tell me we're not buying anyone from Berry." <laughs> so uh, hopefully we won't see that in the summer. Caroline. Caroline I wasn't Barker. there. Although I am angry of Chelmsford in that we didn't have a fixture because of the way all the, the trophy matches fell and the like. And yet it's international weekend and we don't have a game. At least put something on. Not that I had any, <laughs> just anything. Football related? Or yeah, just, no, just yeah. anything. Just put anything on. We've got a running track. Could have gone and had a mascot derby, but no, nothing I happened. I love a mascot derby. Have you been a mascot? Uh, no. Oh. Well, actually, yes. In order to gain access to a charity football match as a junior reporter at Stamford Bridge, I dressed as a giant green dragon. <laughs> um, uh, the less said about that, the better. I was sick in the suit. Hi. Hi, Carolyn Radford. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I was going to ask about your weekend as well, but it didn't go so well, did it? (laughs) No. So we were away at Forest Green Rovers um, and lost 2-0. So it was a long journey home. It's it's that stage of the season, though, isn't I know. it? Uh, they've invested pretty heavily, Absolutely, fighting yeah. the drop. Yeah, and you know, we it was always going to be very difficult, even when it's teams that are lower down the division. So hopefully, we can pick back up. We've got a huge weekend coming up now, um, and we'll pick up six points. Lovely stuff. That's that's <laughs> optimism. We like that. Um, performance of the week, Carolyn. You you went for Chesterfield, didn't you? I did. Yes. I mean, I'm. It's a contentious um, subject for me, the Chesterfield Notts County game, because um, they're both local rivals. So um, we were actually delighted that Chesterfield picked up the points, um, and they had a great game um, against Notts County. It's good that it was televised for League Two. And off the pitch, um, you know, the rivalry is on the pitch, but off the pitch, we um, were friends with both sets of owners. Our kids go to the same school as Alan Hardy's, Notts County. So it's, you know, there's a, there's friendly rivalry there. What, what do you reckon of Chesterfield? Because that performance seemed to back up my opinion that they're a much better team than their Absolutely. league table suggests. Well, we played them. They came to us earlier in the season. We've got them in a couple of weeks. And they're going to be huge games. You know, um, we got a draw um, last time we played them, so um, is it difficult between the owners if you are friends at this stage of the season? Yeah, when the pressure's I, th- mounting I think it's like... just very difficult for us at this stage of the season. Anyway, you know we've had we've had issues in the past month, so um, 
we're just having to work through them. We'll talk about them in just a minute. Matt, who did you go for for, uh, for performance of the week? I went for Fleetwood, Ian, and their 2 0 win over Northampton. Well, barely anyone agreed with you. You came last, 13%. Uh, I went for Chelton, barely anyone agreed with me, 21%. Uh, 27% agreed with Carolyn and uh, the absent Joe Crilly and went for Chesterfield. But it's Social Paul who's rode home with this. Um, with 39% backing his view that Cheltenham was a performance of the week, which, in actual fact, is fair enough. They did score five on the road. I don't like to see the public get it wrong. It should have been Fleetwood. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well done, uh, Cheltenham. Uh, News in Brief is coming up right now. Let's hit that lovely music. Last season, he took them to within a penalty shootout of the Premier League, but this year, they found themselves three points away from the third division. And last week, Yapstam paid the price with his job. Majority shareholders Mr. Young Dai and Mrs. Zhu Li Dai had wanted to give Yap every opportunity to turn around what's been a difficult and challenging championship campaign, read a statement that is pointedly not being read like a Pathé newsreel today. Yap has not wavered in the time, effort and sheer determination he's put in to try to steer the team away from the position we find ourselves in. However, after careful consideration, the decision has been made that a change is now necessary. Reading moves swiftly for Paul Clement, the former Swansea boss. He has eight games to save them from the drop. Scunthorpe has sacked their manager too, which might seem a bit odd given that Graham Alexander was in fifth and there are only seven games left, but they haven't won in eight and they'd only won once in their last 13. And when you put it like that... Well, Grant McCann is the favourite for that vacancy. We always wondered how long Carl Robinson would last at rudderless Chelten Athletic, and it was much longer than we thought. His 16-month reign ended last week when he jumped ship to Oxford. Lee Bowyer has stepped up from the ranks to take the role on a caretaker basis, and he made a pretty decent start, beating Plymouth 2-0. Robinson, rather less fortunate, his new team were beaten 3-0 by Portsmouth. And Walsall have looked to the non-league scene to fill their vacancy, poaching former player Dean Keats from Wrexham. A 39-year-old replaces John Whitney, who was sacked last week. I was brought up in a council estate in Walsall, so I know what the town's about and I know what the fans want to see, said Keats. Well, let's see if he can provide it. And that was your news in brief. Carolyn, a lot of managerial changes there. So mm-hmm. very much uh, your specialised subject right now. <laughs> uh, with Reddit, how long would you have kept faith with uh, Yap Stam if you were if you were chief executive of Reading? I'm a big believer in um, keeping people in positions. I'm not one of these testosterone-filled um, people <laughs> that um, that might decide that you know oh, the results aren't going my way. I believe that you've got to give people time and. And what about Scunthorpe, where they were in fifth with hardly any of the season left? I mean, that, that is that an odd change? Again, I think Graham Alexander was doing a great job, um, and he's you know he's he's gradually been um, ascending up the table. Um, and, yeah, I don't know what Peter Swan was thinking, to be fair. And Grant McCann going into the job then, that's that's Peterborough, then their manager going off. It's all happening, isn't it? Yeah, he was one that we considered, to be honest. So you never know, are you making the right decision when you're employing a manager? You know, it's and it's always very quick. It's very, you know, you've got to make a, a strong decision quite yeah. speedily when you've only got 12 games to go. Do you uh, do you concur with uh, with Scunthorpe getting rid of Alexander? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to. Why not Grant McCann? Was it? Uh... We, we, you know, there was lots of very uh, huge amount of quality the candidates that we got for the job. So it was, 
it was one of those things that we just, you have to go with your gut instinct and we went for David Blickcroft. Scunthorpe's such an odd one in that um, actually you read and don't look at social media. I mean, I know you're on social media, Karen, mm. but, but, but as owners of a club, that's going to sway you either way. Mm. Some, some of the vitriol that you read. But they seem a bit split about whether he should have gone or not, given their recent form. Mm. But you're going into the, the, the prime part of the season, all that he's done for the club, the, the what, two line statement that they put on the website as well hopefully they've spoken to him more we're expecting a statement from the league managers association from graham alexander because i know he's been approached by a number of different radio stations papers to talk and hasn't yet so interesting to see what he comes out with off the back of it but to peter swan then to talk about blaming the players whether maybe they should have stood up more in subsequent interviews that that in itself either the players have gone in and said right something's wrong and a change needs to be happened in which case as as those are part of the leadership board are you listening to that mm. and if it isn't the players that have gone in and now they're getting the stick then then why is he blamed it on the manager so it's a very very odd situation Matt we saw Scunfoot quite recently at, at South End um, and they didn't look like a team who are battling for a playoff place so they were pretty poor that day has that been you know is that the reason he's gone that, that recent form has been so bad oh absolutely it's, well one win in 13 matches but I don't think that tells the full story because they got a spirited 3-3 draw at Wigan where they're only three minutes from winning that game. They lost narrowly at home to Shrewsbury, so they've, they've stayed competitive. But I think the turning point in their season was when Chris Lachetti left the assistant manager to Bury and obviously it didn't work out for, for, for Lachetti at Bury and it hasn't worked out for Alexander losing his assistant. And I was perhaps going to say, is that something as well? It's not just about the managerial appointment, it's all the staff around them as well, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we lost the assistant manager as well. They tend to work as a team don't they so that's that's just one thing that you have to to understand if a manager leaves then but they work well together don't they usually assistants and the managers Steve Evans not the only manager to jump ship in the last few weeks um Carl Robinson we've been reading little reports and hearing little rumors that he was um desperate to get out of Charlton Athletic and and then he did it he jumped ship for Oxford what do you make of that Caroline well the instant response that they get and the non-instant response that Oxford get although down to 10 and how much that that stiffed them at the weekend but I listened to Johnny Jackson talking about going in there and what it means to them and and they've got no guarantees and then they're playing doing the old game to game no guarantees whatsoever but again it's it's like the old Grant McCann situation if you bring in someone who's been involved invested in the club they love that club him and Lee Boy want want to do well and and Paul Charlton through John in particular you hear that he's effervescing about about getting them and then that's what happens then with the bounce that you get with them 2-0 at uh, the weekend for the win for them Lee Bayer, um an interesting choice, certainly raised a few eyebrows, but if you've read interviews with him over the past six months, um, he, he actually speaks very well about the game, doesn't he? Oh, definitely. He sounds very confident in his uh, his own plans and what he can bring to the team as well. And he keeps repeating that line about he's going to do it his way. And, and he did it his way at the weekend as well because he changed the tactics from that 4 3 one that they were playing in Robinson to the diamond midfield. He said that he watched Plymouth's victory over Bristol Rovers and saw how the holding midfielder David Fox had been running the show and uh, he wanted to counter that. And, and obviously he got two goals in the first 17 minutes, so, so it worked perfectly. He did all right. Right, let's turn the spotlight fully on Mansfield then. Um... We were speaking uh, about Mansfield uh, round about the turn of the year, our half-term report that we did just after Christmas. We talked about their excellent entertainment uh, We did, shows yeah. And we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. <laughs> our tribute shows. We, we definitely <laughs> want to spend a lot of time on the tribute shows. Um, but Mansfield was sort of bobbling along um, just sort of upper part of mid-table for most of the season and we were looking at it and we'd seen Mansfield a couple of times and we said, they're going to click, they're going to click and they're going to rise up the table in the second half. And 
it might be the only thing we got right this season so far on the show. And then to have all of that and it all kicking into gear and then, poof, out of mm. nowhere, Steve Evans goes. Yeah. What happened? Well, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> um, we recruited um, Steve's team in the summer. You know, we heavily invested um, into the squad and it was quite a bit of a shock to be honest I know that um, his family are from Peterborough he gets on very well with Barry Fry um, and um, you, you know he, that was his decision and so we've had to move on but you know with 12 games to go we were kind of oh, you know what do we do do we take it steady do we just you know put a temporary manager in or, and, you know, the, the squad were very much used to a very regimented routine. Um, they And like you said, they'd begun to click. They were, we were going up the table. So I think we acted quickly. Um, and David's been promoted before. He's, you know, he knew the, the division. He knew the teams around us. He'd played, he, you know, he beat us twice this season. So for us, when we talked to him, and he's very down to earth, um, was that um, was that quite a change? Because I mean, we all know the you know the media reputation mm-hmm. of Steve Evans, but what's he like to work with on a day to day basis? Yeah, very good. We we had an excellent relationship. So um, you know, I don't have a bad word to say about him. He you know we we did work well together. So you know, it's disappointing, but no one person is bigger than the football club. You know, even we are just custodians, as they say. Um, of the football club so and David came in very quickly so is this the kind of thing you have to do when you're running a club now you don't know what's around the corner you sort of keep tabs on people and have a kind of emergency shortlist ready yeah I think you you kind of do and then you'll go after your targets and you know and see what kind of figures you're working at what who do you think would and it's also thinking about the infrastructure of the club who would who can move us forward as a football club so Dave is very much into his um, you know bringing youth through the system which is great you know Steve wasn't so much about that um, and so I, I think you've got to really have an over, uh, overriding objective um, so David fitted what we wanted. Now you took over as CEO in 2012? Yes I think it was a and, while ago. And that time uh, Mansfield were a non-league football team? Yes. Um, yeah. Having slipped beneath the waves mm. and, and now you're right up at the you know, top end of the fourth division. So yeah. it's gone well. Yeah, it has gone well. I mean, not as we've not been promoted as quickly as <laughs> as I'd have hoped. Um, I mean, I think that's what every team in the in the country wants to do, isn't it? The ultimate aim is promotion. Um, but we've now we've kind of we stabilised in League Two and then put the infrastructure, as I said, all around. So we got the training ground, bought the land, getting that. Um, up and built for this season, so that'll be that'll be huge for us. You know, to have our own dedicated training ground, um, not playing on a cricket pavilion anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but the, what, what we did like um, uh, was the the whole operation outside of the football team. Um, as, as Matt says, there, there were some amazing tribute acts <laughs> lined up. Is that part of a, a wider plan? Yeah, it's yeah. about activity. It's you know getting people to the ground, not just on a match day. We've got a you know a sports bar that's open all the time um, and we just we, we want to do fun things you know hopefully we'll do a concert next year we didn't quite get round to it um, this year but you know just just making activity and excitement through the ground 
Excellent. And uh, just as you head into these final stages of the season, what's it like for, for you and your husband, John, as owners? Well, I have to say now I've got sleepless nights. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm so invested into it. I think, you know, we both are. We're emotionally, financially, just everything about it. And we've got, you know, three little ones at home who are also mad about football. So it's, you know, football is our world. Um and, you know, we just so desperately want to do it this this season for our fans as well, who've supported us. Our gates are rising. Just everything feels right. We've just got to get those players across the finishing line now. So. Oh, well, we wish you all the very best. And thank you so much for coming oh, into the show today. Thank you very much for having me. After this, time to play the Fan League. You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. For all the latest odds in the footballing world, check out williamhill.com or download the app. And if you don't spot something you fancy, why not tweet at William Hill using the hashtag YourOdds for your very own personalised bet. 18 plus only, be gamblerware.org and when the fun stops, stop. All right, Caroline and Matt, still with me? Just. <laughs> Wait until the history section starts. It's time to play the Fan League, and you know how it works. Download the Fan League app. There's a slip, 13 games. Pick a home win or a away win or a draw. Uh, there's only three championship games on there um, this weekend. Let's have a look at them. <laughs> Derby County Sunderland. Uh, we could probably speed up this process by saying, is there anyone who thinks anything other than 4-0 to Derby? 5-0. 5-0. Caroline? <laughs> Can Sunderland keep everyone on the pitch? If they can, I think it'll be tight 45. And I actually think it'll be closer than we might think. So 7-1. Derby haven't won in seven games. I mean, so a fixture like this comes along. I think a draw might might happen. Don't look at me like that, down and away from me. A draw is possible. Well, it probably says, it'll say everything about Derby's promotion hopes, won't it? Because if they can't beat Sunderland... If they can't beat Sunderland, they deserve to be punitively relegated. Fair enough, yeah. Well, there's our headline. Um, Next up (laughs) is Birmingham against Ipswich. Birmingham finally got that win. Um, Ipswich, you know, they're just... They're done now, aren't they? Flip well, they're not out. talking. They're not talking to to Mick for a bit about his future, are they? So no. they've come out and said we're not going to talk to him. So they've come out and made a statement about not making a statement about Mick McCarthy. I think Birmingham have got that that little bit of wind uh, in a good way, <laughs> and I just think that Birmingham will get the result. Yeah, I completely agree. Agreed. Yep. Okay, well, this is almost unanimous. Um, until now, Hull against Aston Villa. Aston <clears> Villa going wallet wolves, then lose two on the spin. They're in danger of drifting back out. Um, and Hull, Hull beat both Ipswich and Norwich before the international break, so they're not down as we had considered they might be. This is a tricky one. It is a tricky one, but I think Steve Bruce, going back to his, his former club, probably be the curse of the ex-manager, and I think Villa will get back on track. And in the same way that you spoke about Derby, this is a result that Villa need to get. If, if they have those those true credentials for going up, I just think they have to win at Hull. But then equally, Hull have to win against Villa. So, uh, That's the joy of football. I'm going for a 2-2. 2-2. Two, two. Two, two. OK. Matt? 3-1 uh, for Aston Villa. Oh, I'll go 1-0 for Aston Villa because I like Steve Bruce, but my heart's not in it. I really think they're going to screw that up. That's the Fan League. It was mainly Premier League games this week. But uh, as I say, download it. Fan League App Store. Um, It's very, very easy to play. It's just unfortunately not easy to win. Now, the League One Roundup. (laughs) 
League One then and Shrewsbury are top. Top of the table at Easter. Who saw that coming? They beat AFC Wimbledon 1-0 thanks to a second-half goal from Stefan Payne and they're one point clear at the top. But they have played one more than Blackburn and two more than Wigan, so it is tight. Carolyn's former employee has taken Peterborough into the playoffs. A one-all draw with Bristol Rovers wasn't what Steve Evans would have preferred, but it's enough to nudge Plymouth out of the way. And, as you heard earlier, Scunthorpe could only draw with Rochdale, and despite holding steady in fifth with seven games to go, Graham Alexander was out on his arse. Simon Grayson earned his first win as Bradford boss as the Bantams edged out Gillingham 1-0. It was goalkeeper Colin Doyle's second game in less than 24 hours after he played 90 minutes for the Republic of Ireland against Turkey on Friday night. I had a lovely little fry up in the hotel with a bit of black pudding, bacon rashers, sausages and eggs. That was my fuel, said Doyle. Paul Cook says promotion is in Wigan's hands after they moved a point behind Shrewsbury with a 2-0 win at Bottomside Bury. The Latics have two games in hand on the leaders. And Lee Bowyer tore up the form book at Charlton to lead the Addicts to their first win in five with a 2-0 victory over Plymouth. Uh, it wasn't exactly a dream start for Lee Bowyer's predecessor, Carl Robinson, at Oxford. His new side were beaten 3-0 at Fratton Park by Portsmouth. And the dismissal of Alex Mauer seconds after missing a penalty really didn't help his cause. Portsmouth are only five points off the playoffs now. Southend are only seven points off the playoffs after they beat Rotherham 2-0 at Roots Hall. Might be a bit much to expect to push for it now, not least because Chris Powell's primary objective was just to avoid relegation. But... That's 50 points on the board now, so it's mission. No, no, I'm not going to hex it. Fleetwood eased their relegation fears with their first home win since October, beating Northampton 2-0. While a 0-0 draw with Blackpool doesn't help MK Dons much, but at least they remain unbeaten in three. You know what this show's been missing across its 28-show run? Mm. A Gillingham history. New Brompton FC were formed in a pub, the Napier Arms to be specific. Back in 1893, they bought a plot of land for £600, adopted professional status in 1894, and they were founder members of the Southern League, and that plot of land became the Priestfield Stadium. New Brompton FC became Gillingham, and in 1920, they were invited to join the all-new third division, and they finished bottom. And they didn't finish higher than 7th before 1938, when they failed to win their re-election campaign and they were booted out in favour of Ipswich Town. In 1950, they were allowed to come back in from the cold, joining the 3rd Division South, but they were dropped into the 4th Division in 1958. They won the title in 1964, hurrah! But they were relegated back to the basement in 1971. They almost made the second division in the 1980s, fueled by the goals of one Tony Cascarino, but they were back in the fourth by 89 and very nearly returned to non-league in 1993 when they ended the campaign with a winner-stays-up clash with Halifax, and Gillingham actually won it. Now, in the words of the club website, Chairman Paul Scally took over in the summer of 1995 and so much has been done and so much achieved under his direction and leadership since then. Tony Pulis got Gillingham up to the third in 1996, and in 1999 they were moments away from finally reaching the second flight. They were leading Man City 2-0 in the last minute of their playoff final. And then Kevin Horlock got one back, and Paul Dickoff equalised in the fifth minute of injury time, and City won on penalties. But they got their own back a year later, taking their frustrations out on Wigan, fighting back from 2-1 down to win the playoff final 3-2. It had taken 106 years, but Gillingham were in the second division. They lasted five seasons, sliding back down in 2006, into the fourth in 2008, back up for 2009, back down for 2010, and then under Martin Allen, they returned to the third flight in 2013. 
And this season, they seem to be in a lot of trouble. Adrian Pennock was sacked in September. Peter Taylor took the helm for a bit. Loads of managers were offered the job, but no one took it. And they ended up just giving it to caretaker manager Steve Lovell. And Caroline, that's worked out all right, hasn't it? Go on, the Lovell. It, it, actually, I find your history is very interesting. Not least, God bless when you. you look back at Gillingham, Tony Pulis, I Man know. City, all these moments, these brushes, um, A.D. Pennock, then perhaps one of those that I've spoken to quite a bit when he was he was at Gillingham and, and talking about the relationship with Mr. Scally and how that, that works. There's certainly interest at all levels of their club. Shall I leave that there? And then for Lovell to come in, um, I have a very good friend who's a very good Gillingham fan in so much as goes everywhere, absolutely worships them and just says you never quite know what you're going to get. And what, what Lovell's done is come in and done the old, it's all right, everything's going to be calm. And we're going to have a period where it's it's okay and things are okay. That defeat to, to Bradford, I think, was a bit inevitable at the weekend because you just saw Grayson coming in and pulling something off and, and have the, the keeper playing twice in 24 hours, had a little bit of stardust written all over it. I loved his, his quote, so Doyle, when he said it, it wasn't a full English, it was a full Irish breakfast. <laughs> and that's what I'm having to get me through. So I, Gillingham, for me, are, are one of the clubs that I've... Never really got behind, but I have followed with interest the headline-making managers, stories, playoffs, chairman. People owner. like us, Caroline. People like us from Essex. We're not allowed to have fondness towards teams from Kent. Well, there are some rather rude songs that happen <laughs> there, there between are, Essex and Kent yeah, friends. There are, there are rules to be observed. Here. Yes, Matt, you watched the game. Um, Bradford won one nil. Um, Gillingham, they've. They've obviously improved a lot as the season's gone on, but never really to the extent where you thought they were going to push for the playoffs. There was that patch, wasn't there, around the end of January where they won six out of eight mid-December to the end of January and you thought, could they do this? Could they follow Plymouth's lead and come up all the way from the, the bottom end of the division and, and mount a, a playoff push? But uh, yeah, it's fallen away in recent weeks and I thought they played pretty well actually at Bradford, especially in the first half. Um, the pitch was terrible. Uh, Connor Wilkinson, who came in for Tom Eaves uh, in, in attack, he said his garden was better after the game. <laughs> he also said it was one of the most one-sided games he's ever been involved in. He did add a, have a, add a caveat though that he's only 23, so he's not played that many <laughs> not, games yet at this stage. Not a stage huge frame of reference. For some reason, though, Gillingham seemed to be better away from home. Their, their home record is appalling. No team has won fewer home games in that division than Gillingham. That in um, itself is a great stat. But the better stat, uh, just to outstat you, was the one on, on Dominic Polian. Did you Have you seen his results against Gillingham? Played seven games against Gillingham, five goals. So he always knows he's going to score. I mean, some for Oldham, some for Wimbledon thrown in there too. But he was always going to score and it was inevitable at the weekend. So when you take inevitability into it, which all good football chairmen should, yeah. <laughs> then, then you just write that one off. Well, they lay out the red carpet for him as well, didn't they? Just yeah. backing off, backing off. Would Go you on, like then. It? You, you're going to score. Just do it now. Get it out of the way. Here's the gift wrap. <laughs> um, Lovell's got the job on a permanent basis now. Um, mid-table finish, that's probably enough to secure it for next season, isn't it? It should be, definitely. I'm surprised no one's called him Mr. Lovell Lovell yet. I thought we would have gone for that from the very start. <laughs> oh, this dear. is why you don't want to go to matches with me, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's one of the reasons. All <laughs> oh, right, then. Social Paul today is playing the part of Joe Crilly. Um, I should stress, though, Joe Crilly has been visibly over-medicated in recent weeks. Um, he's, he's actually working. He's, he's got a lot of boxing stuff on um, this week, so he'll be blundering around like a Labrador on a wet kitchen floor elsewhere today. Um, but he has given us all the information and Social Paul will be playing the part of him today. Social Paul, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. Um, Gillingham, Paul. 
Um, is there any chance of them creeping into the playoffs? Um, not by the look of the numbers that I have in front of me, which <laughs> I believe um, is 100 to 1. 100 to 1. I'm not touching that with a barge pole. Um, can you see them pulling off anything extraordinary? No, but I'd be tempted by that price. <laughs> 100 to 1, just throw a quid at it 50p, anyway. 50p. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, if you want to go and see Gillingham, uh, tickets are between sort of 22 25 pounds though. You can get under-18s in for as little as £7, according to a variety of terms and conditions that are listed on their website. Trains go to Gillingham Station. It's only about a 10-minute walk from there. Uh, driving, phew, I wouldn't. Parking looks an absolute nightmare. Um, if you want to go and watch a game and you just don't want to pay for a ticket, well, we've got good news for you. Thanks to the EFL and EA Sports, we've got a ticket competition. Tickets are for Brentford Sheffield. Field United this weekend and Hull Aston Villa this weekend so whether you're in the south or the north there's something you can get to and all you've got to do this is in line with Will Gunter who's having his 10 day trip in England watching football league games uh, just tell us about your favourite EFL ground contact us on Facebook in the message box underneath the show that you find now that you've got it uh, on Twitter you can get in touch with us that's easy enough on email uh, hello at Muddy News Media you can send something to us there just let us know why you love that ground so much and um, well we'll pick out the best ones uh, the deadline though you've got to be quick like we record on a Tuesday morning and the deadline is lunchtime Wednesday it's UK time lunchtime Wednesday terms and conditions are linked on our site but I'll tell you now for nothing the judge's decision is final and we will not enter into any correspondence regardless of how many nudes you send please stop doing that to me Matt when we come back League 2 my name is Matt Davis. You'll have heard me on the Totally Football Show and Gorilla Position. And for those of you who enjoy your talk about spandex screwjobs and cheap pops as much as your discussions of the Premier League, the Champions League and beyond, then here's some news to brighten up your road to WrestleMania. Ooh, yeah! I've hurled the jabroni who used to host the Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast through the barbershop window so that we can begin a new era. New guests, new music, new gimmick, new spandex. Parts Unknown begins on the first week of April with our WrestleMania preview show. And once we're done reviewing it seven days later, we'll begin breaking down all the previous manias from 33 to 1 in our WrestleMania Rewind. Here we go! We'll also have interviews with WWE superstars past and present and analysis of the current pay-per-views. Sound too good to be true? Oh, it's true. It's damn true. So, if you enjoyed Parts Unknown before, consider this reboot the Ringmaster becoming Stone Cold, Husky Harris becoming Bray Wyatt, or Kane becoming the Mayor of Knox County. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast, from the people who bought you the Totally Football Show. Subscribe now on Acast, iTunes, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. League two, then. Could Martin Allen make a stunning start to his fifth spell at Barnet? No. Luton ran out 2-0 winners at Kenilworth Road and reclaimed their place at the top of the table. Only on goal difference, though, and Accrington Stanley, who didn't play this weekend, have two games in hand. Wickham are still third, but they blew their chance to close the gap drawing 0-0 at home to Port Vale. And they weren't the only ones to go home disappointed. Lincoln City's failure to beat Morecambe means that they drop out of the playoff places. Carlisle could only draw 1-1 with Cambridge to stay six points adrift of the playoffs, while Coventry shuffle up to sixth after thumping Grimsby 4-0. The Mariners are just three points above Chesterfield, who have two games in hand. And Cheltenham ran rampage at Crawley, surging into a 5-1 lead before Harry Kuehl's side pulled two goals back to make it 5-3. 
What a win for Chesterfield. The beleaguered Spyrites beat promotion-chasing Notts County 3-1. And while they're still very much tits deep in the brown stuff, that gap is closing. 22nd place Grimsby are only four points away now. Crew were in serious danger of the drop too, but a fine 2-1 victory away at Newport has given them some much-needed breathing space. 43 points might be enough now. Stevenage have 44, which is handy because they didn't add to their tally on Saturday. Dino Mamaria's side were beaten at home by Colchester. Exeter's promotion push remains on course after they beat Swindon 3-1 to inflict a first defeat on Phil Brown, while Mansfield dropped to 7th after losing 2-0 at Forest Green Rovers. Disappointing is probably not a strong enough word to use, said manager David Flickcroft. Nice. Right, we reached the end of the road. It's the last rambling football history of the season. Oh, can um, I just say, yeah. before that, I know it's your show, Barnet could really muscle things up at the bottom. Really? They've got Why? crew and Stevenage to come. Ooh. Yeah, like that's a... it. That's all I've got to say. Okay. But I did just think, oh, Martin Allen, can he? Can he? Will he? Maybe. Could still. No, I can't see it happening this all time. Right, thanks. Not this time. Chesterfield, they'll get out. Not Barnet, though. And so we reached the end of the road. This is the final rambling history, and I think it's the saddest one. It's certainly the one that goes from the most buoyantly optimistic in the 1970s to the most hopeless, hopeless kind of state of, is it even worth getting promoted? Does that actually make things worse? It is, of course, Coventry City. Uh, In 1883, the employees of the bike manufacturer Singer formed a football team, a pretty decent one too. They won the Birmingham Cup, the Wednesday Cup and the Walsall Cup all in one season. A feat that was marked with the creation by a local businessman of three cups tobacco. See, that's what Mourinho should have done to make his imaginary treble stick in the public consciousness. Commemorative tabs. Anyway, Singers FC, for that was they, changed their name in 1898 to Coventry City and moved to a new home on Highfield Road. They were elected to Division 2 after the First World War and very nearly got themselves relegated in their first season. Thank heavens, then, that they were able to beat Berry, save themselves and consign Lincoln to the drop. But they cheated. Three years later, an FA investigation discovered skullduggery and Chairman David Cook, the very man who made that special backy, was given a life ban from the game. Well, two years later, they did go down and they stayed in the third flight until 1936. They are in Division 4 in 1958 for just the one season and then... In 1962, it all changed. They adopted a completely sky-blue kit. Then Jimmy Hill arrived as manager, and a revolution began. On and off the pitch, Hill was a whirlwind of activity. He took the team up from the third. He introduced special sky-blue trains. He organised pre-match and half-time entertainment. He literally wrote the theme tune by writing the sky-blue song to the tune of the Eaton Boating Song. And then just before they arrived in the top flight... He went off to work in telly. But Coventry didn't drop back down again in his absence. They were still there in 1974 when Hill returned, first as managing director and then as chairman. He turned Highfield Road into the first all-seater stadium in 1981, though that idea got shelved when Leeds turned up and freed the seats at everyone. They had the first electronic scoreboard for results around the country. And stick with me here, kids. Before that, you had an alphabetical code for fixtures on the back of the match day programme that you had to match up to numbered and lettered boards on the side of the pitch. I could talk about Jimmy Hill all day, but I'll just leave you with this. Remember the story about the OXO Tower being built with windows that spelled out OXO because they weren't allowed to advertise? Well, Hill did that with the Coventry kit, getting around the FA's ban on shirt sponsorship by incorporating the T for the car manufacturer Tolbert into the kit itself. And it still got banned. 
And then there was 1987, and one of the greatest FA Cup finals in history. Two things happened that day that could never happen now. Firstly, Coventry won a competition, and secondly, after a mix-up at the printers, only half the Tottenham players had sponsors on their shirts. But after 34 years in the top flight, Coventry were relegated from the Premier League in 2001. Six changes of managers later, they were still in the second flight and on the verge of going into administration. And then a company called Sisu turned up. Coventry circled the drain for four seasons and then went down to the third in 2012, then down into the fourth in 2017. And under the new owners, they even suffered the indignity of not actually being allowed to play in Coventry and having to ground share with Northampton. As takeovers go, Matt, it's it's not worked out brilliantly. No, uh, your question at the, the top of the history section, is it worth even getting promoted or does that just make things worse? It's probably the most pertinent thing on supporters' mind this season and... Ten years after they bought the club, uh, no one really understands why why Sisu is still the owners. Um, a consortium led by Gary Hoffman, former club vice chairman, and uh, other local businessmen has been trying to buy the club for, for a while now. And uh, apparently a £7 million offer, it was reported, has been lodged, potentially rising to £20 million, and, and you can't see how, how on earth they think they're going to get any, any more than that. And this is insane, because Portsmouth just changed hands for about £5 million quid. And they've actually got a stadium and they're quite good. And they have a lot of fans who are really very happy about stuff, generally speaking. And Coventry haven't got a stadium and they haven't got a training ground. And it's a miserable place to be. And they're in the fourth division. And the owners apparently want 20 million up front. That is pretty bleeding optimistic. It's 20 million quid for a badge, isn't it? Yeah, it sort of underlines everything uh, at that club over the last 10 years, doesn't it? Of how little they must appreciate the, uh, the club's standing and... Uh, and how far they've allowed them to fall as well, and the situation with the stadium, which has dragged on for years and years now. And uh, it's, I mean, perhaps they look at that community day against Accrington in February, where 28,000 turned up when they, they put on cheap seats and uh, free tickets for kids. And it shows that the fan base is still there if, if they manage to, if, if someone that comes into the club and manages to get things right. And CC probably look at that and think, well, that still means that we can get some, some money back that we've lost. Caroline, everything's gone wrong, really, since they left Highfield Road. How can a club that had been so forward-thinking under Jimmy Hill, that had been so in touch with their fans, be so backward now with their communication with the fans, with the way that they've treated them, with the way that they've handled that club over the last decade? And it's a decade that plenty of the fans want to write off, and rightly so. And then, and then, step forward Mark McNulty. Then you get someone who's going to come in and score a hat-trick that suddenly, uh, after his own self-admitted slow start to the season, does well. And a club that start doing well on the pitch. And you've got then torn supporters thinking, do I come back and support them? Do I make my presence known back in the stadium? Very much as we've seen written from Blackpool previously with other clubs that have suffered previously. Do I come back and support this club that's doing well? Or do I sit there and think, just get out, just yeah. go to the owners? Yeah, I mean, and, not, not and to the club. this is a sad thing. They're, um, they're in such good form, second in the form table, um, piling up the, the division at the moment. Um, let, let's talk about the game. Um, <laughs> it feels, feels like we'll, um, we'll, we'll all get very, very depressed if we stay on the subject to Sisu. We're, in, we're going to end up back there anyway. But let's talk about the game. Let's have a brief moment of light. They, I mean, the scoreline flattered Grimsby, didn't it? I, I was chuckling then because uh, I think it was so difficult to judge Coventry against such yeah. abject opposition. Oh, God. Uh, Grimsby, just you worry about their situation. I mean, they're right above it now and, uh, and Chesterfield, a couple of games in hand as well. But... Uh, I, I thought Coventry played really well, though. He, you know, he, and uh, they, they played the ball around nicely around the box. Uh, McNulty, obviously, poacher, 
I think the key thing for Coventry is how well Mark Robbins recruited in the summer. And you look at the fact that they lost Jody Jones uh, to injury. He was ruled out for the rest of the season back in November and he was such a key player for them that uh, he's done brilliantly to, to, to keep them, them up at the top end of the division. My favourite part about the game on Saturday was uh, Jack Grimmer, the right back, who initially I was like, God, this guy's amazing. Every cross is finding its mark. And then the more you're watching it, you're like, no one's challenging. (laughs) He was just like larruping balls up in the air that were coming down with snow on from the flanks. And and Grimsby just weren't, they just, there was so much space. It was ridiculous, the distance between Grimsby's attack and Grimsby's defence. The defence that's so deep and the midfield were chasing around about 60 yards of space to, to try and get the ball back and it was about three players uh, gravitating to every Coventry player as well and then Coventry players just play it round them and oh look at all this space we've got to move into now it was very disorganised performance it, it was like when you've got a game of football manager on the go and it's just going horribly horribly wrong and then someone comes over and goes yeah you've done that and if you do that you'll lose every single game no one's actually come along and identified what that thing is for me yet. <laughs> well, con- for them, certainly it's conceding goals, isn't it? 7-4-35 against in their 18-game winless run, five draws, 13 defeats. Grimsby are, are being stuffed yeah. at the moment. But I was surprised to read, um, I don't know if you follow Good Brand Stats, who does the stats for our Channel 5 show um, on Twitter, and he was talking about Mark McNulty. Only two players have scored 20-plus league goals for Coventry since 78-79. Only two players. He's on 18. No way. He's on 18 at the moment. Just at home. Can guess the other. At home. Uh, two mm. players, 20 plus. Oh, so there are two other than McNulty. He's on 18 at the moment. So if he hits 20. Go Mc- on then. Have a guess. Well, McQuinn? Nope. No Whelan? Since 78-79. Nope. How long should we go on with this? Do you want to extend <laughs> this podcast? Callum Wilson and Adam Armstrong. Yeah, wouldn't have got that. McNulty is 18 and they're the only two to have 20 plus league goals in the season. Incredible, wow. yeah, and and maybe that's one of the the reasons where they you can either count that as they've done really well because everyone's scoring from around the pitch, or just really badly. But McNulty could be the key to them getting promoted. But then what? And then they're a slightly more valuable proposition, oh, and then Sisu will ask for even more money. Or will they let them go? It's it's definitely a hell of a lot worse than the situation Blackburn, but I do think there are similarities there because I remember when Tony Mowbray was appointed, he said a lot of uh, other managers said to him at the time, you know, you've just been at Coventry, do, do you want to be in a similar situation with with, with absentee owners? And uh, but I think obviously Blackburn have a lot stronger infrastructure and and it hasn't been quite as long that the club's been allowed to slide and there has at least been some investment into the, the playing squad and everything else. And we have our own stadium, we have our own training facilities, we have an excellent academy. So really, I mean, I'm making it sound like there's no similarities at all, but it is one of those situations where Blackburn fans now, they talk about if we get promoted back to the championship, where does it really get us eventually? Because if the owners are there, considering how little knowledge they've shown about football and, and how much they've allowed us to, to slide down into to League One, does it mean that we're, we're going to be able to, to get back into the Premier League at some stage or you know, it's going to pull other fans back? I mean, it's just that disillusionment, really. The, the performances on the pitch, Ultimately, they get to this stage where they don't satisfy that. They don't meet all of the requirements. Mm. This is all getting so sad. So let's talk about the one ray of light that there is a decent academy there. Um, well, the, the two rays of light in that if all you can do is buy the badge. Then at least if you're fans and you know someone's walking in and they're only buying the badge, then at least they should should have the good intentions <laughs> of the club at heart, shouldn't they? Great badge as well. It's an elephant standing on a football. Why would you not want to buy it? <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, Leeds United have often proved that, you know, if you've got a terrible owner, um, surely the next one has to be better than that. And yet, 
or a good owner and a bad badge, a terrible badge this oh, season. Yeah, so. interesting, interesting. Well, I mean, you just hope that it all works itself out, doesn't it? There doesn't seem to be much in, in the way of reasons to be optimistic. But good, strong academy. James Madison came through there. Jones was doing very well at the beginning of the season. So there's something there, isn't there? Ben Stevenson, who Wolves poached in January. George Thomas, who joined Leicester. A lot of good players coming for that academy. And I think you really have to say what an excellent job their, their academy yeah. coaches have done and the managers for, for bringing through these players considering the circumstances at the club as well left 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 come through left sold gone got to hang on to them got to change the infrastructure got to get rid of the owners what are the odds spare joe crilly of coventry going up this season they are currently sixth in the table um, and they are two to one to get promoted which is the same odds as currently fourth place knotts county all right. Now, if you want to get tickets for the echoing mausoleum that is the Rico Arena, uh, it's 22 quid or £10 for under-18s. And you can get under-13s in for free if they sign up for junior membership. But seriously, why would you do that to a child? Uh, there's parking at the stadium. That's £10 a car, and you should really book in advance. Trains. Trains are just terrible, apparently. You can get to Coventry Station and walk three and a half miles. Or you can get a cab or get a bus. Tread very warily if you're getting the train to the stadium's own Coventry Arena station. It is an hourly service uh, with just two carriages on a Saturday. And in the evenings, it's just one carriage. I just... (laughs) I've done the walk. I've done the three miles. Yeah, yeah. And I I did it. It was almost like I was on a protest march. It was brilliant (laughs) Um, with the fans walking along too. And, Two and, carriages, though. Why uh, would you do that? There's not a special service. There's nothing. Because it never gets cold, even on a cold day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, spare Joe Crilly. Let's talk about the weekend's football. There's so much football league football this weekend. Um, on Friday, we have a marathon of fixtures. Oxford, Scunthorpe then, 12.45. What's the scores on the doors there? Uh, if you fancy Oxford, it's 13-8. to eight. Uh, Scunthorpe are 6-4. to four. And if you fancy a draw, it's 9-4. to four. Right, Middlesbrough Wolves at 5.30. I've got a feeling Middlesbrough are going to win this. Well, if you do, that's 9-5. to five. Wolves at 13-8. to eight. And a draw here is 21-10. to 10. Derby Sunderland. Um, oh, God. <laughs> I don't think there's much, uh, much past Derby. They're looking at 1-2. to two. Okay. Um, A draw here is 3-1. to one. And if you really fancy Sunderland, it's 6-1. 6-1. to one. Six to one. Right. Yeah, when Joe comes back, we're going to have to have words about that. Good God. Um, On Saturday, it's Hull against Villa at uh, 5.30. I tell you for now, I think Villa will probably just edge that. Um, We haven't got odds yet because the previous fixtures haven't been played, but loads of football on Monday as well. Preston against Derby, Portsmouth against Wigan, Sheffield United against Cardiff. Uh, It's a festival of football league football. There you go. Time for listeners' questions. You can send any question you like to us. doesn't even have to be about football. Um, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instasnaps, and on email. So send anything free you like. Uh, James Philippe did just that. He said, do you think both Villa and Argyle will get promoted this year? No, I do not. Uh, what connects those clubs? The only thing I can think of is an accumulator. Well, I, I, checked, I checked his Twitter profile, and he seems to be an Aston Villa fan who lives in Plymouth. And I think probably watches Plymouth on a weekend, but his heart still belongs to Villa. Ah, um, I think, yeah, pro- probably can't see both going up. I can't see Argyle coming up, and I can definitely see Villa screwing this up. Caroline? So you're saying both aren't going to go up? Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to go, Villa will go up, and I love Derek Adams. I just want to leave that there. Okay. 
Uh, Craig Bradley on Twitter, uh, he doesn't have a question. He just wants to say massive respect to the 3,000-plus Plymouth Argyle fans who travelled to Chelton. Amazing following. Well, I think we echo that. Uh, Ryan Sessignon is not the name of the person who wrote in. Um, Lewis Matthews is the name of the person who wrote in. Asking, will Ryan Sessignon and James Madison be the biggest championship sales of the summer, or can you see anyone going for more? Oh, really? Think- Sessignon could be a Premier League sale at that stage, couldn't he, if Fulham keep going the way they have in 2018? Yeah. But uh, talk, about how, yeah, talk about how he'll stay if they get promoted yeah. and give them another season. So, Who do you reckon will fetch the biggest price? I know largely it comes down to contract, but... It's got to be Sessignon. Sessignon. Yeah. If he goes. Yeah. He's 17. He's so he's just an incredible footballer. Is there, is there anyone on their level in the championship, do you think? I'm not sure there really is. Apart from everyone at Wolves. Well, yeah, that's true. It's hard to know what they really cost, though, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> uh, Mark Canary on Twitter said, When do you feature my beloved Norwich City? Um, uh, we did already. Um, we featured everybody. That's some nominative determinism there, isn't it? Mark Canary. I know. <laughs> He probably wanted to be an Ipswich fan, but realised the futility of his hopes. And parachute payments. Gary Lambert wants to talk about parachute payments. They're killing the championship, he says. Should they be phased out? It depends on what your parachute payment is for and is used for. I would have liked there to have been something attached to the community sides you need to hang on to. How often do we see perhaps some of these clubs get relegated and remove some areas of the club that I don't think they should. So yeah, yeah. what should the parachute payment go into, my lord? I like that idea because what always saddens me is when a team goes down, they lay off like all the people in the background, people in the press team, the catering team, and you're like, they can't be getting paid much more than about 25 grand a year. So if the parachute payment is to maintain those positions, which it should be, to make you go down slower, isn't it? The nature of a parachute, yeah. then then you should be able, or you should be forced into hanging on to those around the club. There you go, we've just fixed it. We've just fixed parachute payments. I was just going to say, my thoughts on parachute payments are that they're often negated by terrible owners that took the club down from the Premier League in the first place. Like at Blackburn, when we signed two strikers, Jordan Rhodes, Rudy Gestead, both scored over 20 goals in a single season, and we didn't even get to the playoffs. Matt needs a lot of cuddles. The Blackburn thing has been very hard on him and, and we, we get him through it on a day-to-day basis. And today has been one of those days and it's been a lovely day. Uh, uh, in her absence, I will say thank you very much to Carolyn Bradford for joining us for the beginning of the show. Uh, all of our love goes to Joe Crilly, who's currently working on the forthcoming boxing thing, which I don't know too the much about. The big fight? Is there a big fight? Oh, there's a massive fight. Who is it? Joshua Parker. I, I just, I'm just saying what they Joshua yeah. Parker is fighting. Who's he fighting? No, Joshua versus Parker. <laughs> <laughs> the Totally Boxing Show is coming next month. Uh, thank you so much, Social Paul, for being Social Paul and being Joe Crilly. Thank you very much. And thank you, dear listener. <sighs> See you next Tuesday. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Listeners, you know there's more to football than so-called glamour friendlies, bar controversies and 12-minute managerial meltdowns. Yes, football's fundamentally a simple game, but you can't truly understand football without understanding the modern world. And you can't understand the modern world without understanding its most popular sport. Game of Our Lives is a new podcast series hosted by the football historian David Goldblatt. It tackles themes like human nature, globalisation and geopolitics through the prism of the beautiful game. This week the subject is Mountain of Fire and Miracles FC, one of the top teams in Nigeria with a remarkable story. 
It has its roots in the Pentecostal church, the fastest growing social movement in the country. The Game of Our Lives podcast with David Goldblatt. Subscribe now.